Hello everyone, I'm Joseph Long, and this is episode 12 of This Is The Long Version. Stories and musings about 21st century parenting, education, and organizing the creative process. Hello, how are you? I know that I can't actually hear your response right now, but if you are responding, then thank you, or, or just listening, that's fine too. I am doing something that I've never done before. One of my ongoing efforts in life is to do something amazing every day, and my my wife Becca, for example, I mean, has done many ama- a number of amazing things today, such as she made me a really good um, cup of coffee for me to enjoy this episode. So that's her amazing thing, one of a number. My amazing thing is that I am currently doing this podcast with a a child sleeping on my back and breathing down my neck. The breathing down my neck is a slight exaggeration because he's actually slumped down uh, several inches below my neck. Um, but if you hear any uh, grunty breathing or other or, or other bodily sounds during this podcast, then you'll know um, the context to interpret those sounds from. So just to be clear, any strange sounds you hear are my one-year-old son contributing to this podcast. This podcast is all about um, politics. Politics. I'm going to pull up a couple uh, old blog posts that I've written, and I'm going to throw in my three cents in this home stretch of the election. And uh, last night we watched the West Wing special, a sort of get out the vote live version of a season two episode in which they kind of apologized for being actors, celebrities using their platform to advocate for well, voting. Um, but then Bradley Whitford, the guy who was doing the introduction, the, the actor Josh Lyman on the West Wing, for anybody who watches, said, you know, if this can get even one person to vote, then it'll be worth it. Now, whenever I hear something like that, it it always strikes me as being a bit of an exaggeration. Like, if Aaron Sorkin, the creator of the West Wing, and the various producers and all the studios putting up money to do this special episode, if they could actually somehow look down the road at the metrics of what that episode would accomplish, and they saw that the net value was getting one more person to vote, and, let me, let's be honest, if that one person voted for Donald Trump, would they have gone ahead and done that episode? I I don't know. I I can't answer. But that's the way my brain works, is conjecturing on those things. I enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed seeing uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda on there and amidst some others, and it was fun to see the West Wing cast um, years on, getting older. So I'm going to talk a little bit about politics and some pieces I've written, conversations I've had with people about politics and the election and so forth. And I don't know if it's going to change anybody's mind at this point. I I don't. Um, if there's ever an election where people's minds are made up in my lifetime, I've been paying attention to elections and politics since 1986 when I was 10 years old. And I worked my way backward, and I, I enjoy 20th century history amidst other eras, but 20th century history in, in particular, and... Um, I found a a great amount of joy in my childhood reading through presidential biographies and learning about politics and government and citizenship and um, the way humans create laws and hold themselves subject to them. So, as I look at this election, one that is like no other, and I look at my own accompanying feelings and thoughts and conversations. Uh, I know it sounds melodramatic, but it really is an election like no other. I'm going to kick things off with a conversation that I had. Now, this was back in December. I've had various conversations of this type. This, um, but this was this was unique. Uh, I'm going to jump right into it. It was at a Starbucks in Washington State, and the title of the post was. I don't know anyone who doesn't like him. Again, this was back in December, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, when you did things like work in coffee shops. Two hours to ride in a coffee shop with hot coffee and no children. I sat down with the exhilaration of anticipation. 
I'd waited too long to stick on my headphones and start my current obsession of the entire AHA back catalog. AHA, which sometimes unfairly gets lumped into the one-hit wonders category for their wonderful hit take on me, but they actually have so many other great songs. That was an aside. I have long been respectfully amused and interested in the culture of senior males who come into coffee shops to hang out and talk loudly about the state of the world. A quick scan of the small table across from me led to a confirmation of what I could have determined from listening to 20 seconds of their dialogue. Early to mid-70s, Caucasian males talking politics. Politics that were possibly as far removed from my positions as possible, but I had work to do, so I closed mouth, smiled, and cracked open my laptop and started to turn on music, but it was too late. Too late. I don't get who these people are. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Trump, one said to the other. I could stay silent no longer. I leaned forward, raised my hand, and (laughs) said, would you tell me what you like about Trump? They looked at me and shifted body position enough to include me in their back and forth. Thus began the next 90 minutes of dialogue. I thanked them at three separate points for being gracious and respectful in allowing me to jump into their conversation. Spoiler alert, no minds were changed, but I asked them at the end to consider a few things, and I got a selfie. Cleaning the swamp. That's what CEOs do, one of them said. Trump talks straight, and I don't like it. I don't, I don't. I don't like how he always says it, but he's tired of the corruption. They're all corrupt. He's a leader, and that's what leaders do. Democrats are afraid of him. How do you reconcile the Republicans and conservatives who have spoken against him? I asked. Egos. They have their pride wounded, and in a corporation, you try people out and see how things work. He's a perfectionist. If they're not doing their job, he moves them out, and people don't always like that. They have their egos hurt. How do you feel about racism? Jeff asked. This was one of the gentlemen. Um, I replied, "I <laughs> racism, I... I I'm not in favor. Mick, the other gentleman, picked up the ball. Here's the thing. I'm a racist. We're all racist. I don't think I'm better than a black person. We're all equal, and there's a lot of good ones. But the Democrats have brainwashed them, and and blacks are hateful towards white people. It's true. Most of them are. Not all of them. There's a black who works over in the Safeway Pharmacy, and he he came over from Africa, and he's, he's a really decent guy. Just really great and decent and doesn't have that attitude that most of them have. I, I don't have a problem with blacks, but we're all racist. I admit it. Eddie Gallagher. We talked about Eddie Gallagher, the Navy SEAL who Trump pardoned after being convicted via the Uniform Code of Military Justice for stabbing to death an injured and sedated 17-year-old ISIS prisoner and then photographing himself with the corpse. He was also accused by his fellow Navy SEAL snipers of also randomly shooting Iraqi civilians. Fast forward through the military justice system, and President Trump decided to jump in and, the short version, remove all charges, disciplinary measures, stripping of pension, etc. He also directed that the Navy revoke Navy achievement medals that had been given to the prosecution against Gallagher. This seems to me a clear-cut case of undercutting confidence in the very system he is commander-in-chief of. But Jeff disagreed. I mean, yeah, there's a chain of command, but he is the commander-in-chief, and it's his presidential prerogative. It is. I mean, what did Gallagher do? That general just threw him in prison for taking a picture with a dead Taliban. That's just wrong. As an aside, that general did not just throw him in prison. He went through the entire justice process as demanded by the justice system within the army. Let them kill the bad guys, Jeff said. I mean, there's 10-year-olds that carry around bombs in those countries, and you don't know if he might have had a bomb or not. Gallagher might have thought he did, and that, that's what you do. You shoot him. You, you gotta just let him kill the bad guys. How to throw your friend under the bus. Well, <laughs> Jeff here ran off to Canada to get out of Vietnam, one of them chuckled. I chuckled too, because that's funny. 
two Trump supporters talking about Trump, and two-thirds of them, including the commander-in-chief, avoided Vietnam service through dubious means. At least if Jeff's loyal friend's comment is taken at face value. I meant to return to that statement, but wasn't able to do so. Family. I am a Christian, I said. That's why I oppose Trump so strongly, at least one of the primary reasons. 81% of evangelicals support him. Now you know one of the 19%. It is because, first and foremost, I am a Christian, above anything else, that I cannot and will not support his presidency and administration. The media. They're all corrupt, they confirmed to each other. Give me one paper or magazine to read, I said, one that you consider a legitimate source. This is the first time in in modern political history that basic facts are not considered facts by a huge segment of, of the population, including the president, I said. Well, the media has had it, had it out from him, for him from the beginning, Jeff said. They hate him. The Democrats control the media, and he's a threat to their power. He came in and said, no more. He's getting us back to a balance of power. Family, part two. I have four kids, I said, and I consider it our mandate to try and leave the world a little better for them and future generations. I started paying attention to politics, current affairs, and government in the mid-80s, I continued. Iran-Contra, Challenger, Dukakis-Bush, all that. And I have told... And I have told our kids again and again, this is not normal. What is happening now is not normal. We have a leader who bullies and lies. Well, you got to understand, he's a strong leader, Jeff said. Like these, uh, these big corporations with CEOs. They got to come in sometimes and clean things up. Get rid of the corruption and incompetence. Loyalty. He demands loyalty, I said up until the point someone disagrees with him or their liability. Then his loyalty disappears in a flash. When you're the leader, Jeff said, you have to make tough decisions, and I just think he's a perfectionist. He wants people in the right positions, and he's not afraid to make sure he's got the right people and move them around or fire them if they're not doing their job. But people have their egos, and they get fired, and then they go crying about it. Human nature. Liberalism, facts, gender, and tax returns. You've got a good heart, Mick said. I just wish we could straighten you out and get you to look at the facts instead of all the feel-good stuff. I mean, it's good to love people and all, but we have enemies. Liberals are all about feelings, and you can't say this or do that. The gays want to marry, and next thing they want to tell you everything you can do. Jeff nodded wisely. Liberals are emotional. They're like women. They're emotional and nursing. Note. I believe he meant nurturing. Jeff continued. Women are, are nursing. They, uh, they're, they're, they're caring and nursing, but you have to look at the facts. Liberals don't want to look at those. They've had it out for Trump since the beginning, and they can't stand how he's taking power away from them, how he's standing up to them. I chuckled mirthlessly. Well, Jeff, <laughs> I find it very interesting that you're, that you're using facts and science to defend the Republican positions. I am a strong proponent of following the facts. You know what would be a great fact to look at? Our president's tax returns. Those would be some interesting evidence to go through. The media would distort all of it, he said. But if he simply released them, I said, then the cold hard facts would be out there and people could determine for themselves what they meant. He doesn't have to, Jeff reminded me. True, I said, but he's the first modern president to not do so, and he said he would. He lied, which he is very good at. God. This nation is heading towards socialism, and that always means society and country will fall apart, Mick said. I am angry and sad and frustrated, I said, that Trump has swung the pendulum so far to the right. What it means is that the next wave of Democrats taking power will aim to swing the pendulum perhaps far to the left, and I'm not in favor of some of those positions, but it has to happen. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel about John McCain, about the Republicans and ex-military and current military, and many other conservatives who have spoken out against Trump? Not Democrats, but conservatives and Republicans. How do you rationalize that? McCain wasn't strong enough or decisive enough to be a leader, Jeff said with finality, 
in reference to the former senator who spent six years in a Hanoi prison. More family stuff. The family is falling apart, Mick said. Our country is going downhill because of that. No more family values. I agree, I said. I agree so strongly. We need stronger families. I believe that everyone, starting with children, needs connection, needs to belong. We live in the richest, most powerful country in the world, and what are the diseases and afflictions we deal with, different from, say, Ethiopia or even India? We deal with peoples whose minds or hearts are broken, and so much comes from loneliness and a lack of connection. We need to do better, starting with the family, starting with our kids. Yep, Jeff said. The big thing for me is abortion. I just can't be in support of murdering millions of unborn babies. I can respect that, I said. I, I can understand a little your feelings on that. And I segued back. I, I am certainly conservative in certain aspects. Kids need to learn how to work again. They need to learn how to be bored again and how to entertain themselves and keep their attention on something. Well, good luck with that, Jeff grunted. Government won't even let kids work anymore until they're 18. Can't even do work at home except for unloading the dishwasher or that type of thing. Hillary. I will process your belief that Trump truly puts this country's interests above that of his own, I said. I will try to do that. And would you do something for me? They looked at me suspiciously. <laughs> would you try, I asked, to remember and to believe that Democrats love this country too, including Hillary? Yes, Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and Barack Obama. Jeff spoke up. I never said anything too bad about Obama. I just couldn't stand what he did to this country. Then, I said, please consider that that when you're talking about him or Democrats, disagree on policy, if you will, but don't demean them or their patriotism or love for our country and people. They nodded. I'm voting for whoever has the best chance of getting Trump out of office in the next election, I said. I've always been independent, but I am voting Democrat because I believe so strongly for the future of this country and our children that we need someone else. I am willing to consider what you have said about believing his loyalty to our country above that of his own self-interest. That's a hard thing for me to consider anymore, but I'll think about it. Will you do the same? Finale. I'm going to ask you a favor, I said. <laughs> you can say no, it's okay, but I'd like to think we're parting on friendly terms. Can I get a picture of you as selfie? They looked at each other, leaning, leaning toward not. Come on, I pressed. If you don't want to, it's fine. But this has been an interesting conversation, and now you know someone who doesn't vote for Trump. What do you say? They reluctantly agreed. Thank you for letting me interrupt your conversation, I said. I know I haven't changed your mind, and you certainly haven't changed mine, but I'd, I'd love to ask you two things. Okay, Mick said suspiciously. I'd like to ask that you be consistent in showing grace to others. You quickly defend Trump's patriotism and heart. Do the same thing for the politicians you disagree with. Give Obama the benefit of the doubt when talking about him and don't question his patriotism. You can disagree with him on policy, but don't talk about him as if he was not fully committed to this country. Do the same thing for the Democrats you can't stand. They looked at me silently, shaking their heads. You've got a good heart, Mick said again. Just wish we had some more time to get you straightened out. The other thing I continued is to follow the facts. Don't dismiss facts you don't like, and don't dismiss the media as being corrupt. Well, the truth is they are, Mick said. You really don't understand how deep the deep state runs. It runs deep. Again, I said, I feel as strongly about the First Amendment as you feel about the Second. I support both, but to put it into terms that might make sense to you, I am as concerned about the erosion of the press's freedom in the First Amendment as you are about erosion of gun rights in the Second. She shook his head. Something has to be done about the media's corruption. The media's corruption, I said. The media's corruption. It sounds like we're wading into First Amendment waters, and I have pretty strong feelings on that. What specific examples are you thinking of in which inaccurate, false, or out-of-context information has been used repeatedly as a pattern? Mr. President has done that repeatedly, over and over, documented in reality with incontrovertible supporting evidence. And what is your response to, Trump, to Trump's explanations time and time again for his explanations that defy reality? We engaged in conversational merry-go-round for a bit longer. They tag-teamed and looked to each other for support. Two elderly gentlemen who graciously allowed a young, muscular, intellectually superpowered, brazen fellow to, bull <laughs> to bulldoze into their conversation. Sorry, I couldn't get through that sentence I wrote without laughing. 
they engaged and they talked and they interrupted and I interrupted a few times too. And I thanked them again for letting me dive in and repeated my request to consider showing respect and the possibility that there might be something, some things to consider that the president and his cohorts might be mistaken or dishonest about. And maybe there are good people who support new leadership in next year's election. And maybe some of those people are worth listening to. Maybe. Well, maybe we'll see you again and have more time to get you straightened out, Jeff said. I took a deep breath and smiled. Well, <laughs> maybe in between now and then you'll be able to brag to your friend and fam- friends and family and everyone you know that now you know someone who doesn't agree with this president and is working hard to get him replaced in the next election. I waved and left, but then I realized I forgot to get a coffee refill, so I abandoned the dignified exit I had just done and went back in. They were talking about me. So there's there's that. This is a much shorter post called Friends and Neighbors. In the near recent past, I was out of town and was introduced to a man who immediately asked how my trip through Portland had gone, quote-unquote, through the tens of thousands of protesters and looters. I am not going to apologize for not engaging at that time. I smiled at the senior Caucasian man and pivoted to other topics. I continued to steer the conversation during our time together, inquiring about family, grandkids, work, etc. I'm going to protect his identity here, so I'm not going to provide additional context for the conversation. I believe he is a good and decent person in many ways. So he's telling me a story about the time he was in L.A. and how he was initially nervous about being in a certain neighborhood, being white and all. But it ended up being fine because, quote-unquote, the colored people didn't have a problem with me. Quote, unquote, the colored people didn't have a problem with me. Someone asked me later if he was baiting me, knowing my position and beliefs. I said emphatically, no. The truth, I think, is even more sad. When he saw me, it was outside the scope of his social ecosystem, his environment, experience, personal community. It was so outside the scope of his world to believe that I could possibly be one of, quote, unquote, those. One of those Antifa types the looters and criminals and terrorists who were all worked up and angry. I truly believe that it did not even occur to him that I might be, quote-unquote, one of them. I am one of them. Not Antifa, not a looter or a criminal or terrorist, though a certain president appears willing to slap that label onto any marching activist who dares challenge him. I am a protester, one of those. Whether I should or should not have said anything during this interaction is irrelevant right now. Some of you might want to call me out, judge me, criticize me. Fine. I have strong opinions about cancel culture, too, and its chilling effect on furthering any sort of dialogues. But that's not what I'm writing about. I'm writing about my neighborhood, my mountain, my town, my rural area. First, I am so proud that so many people have shown up in solitary and support for people of color communities in my current town and in my hometown. I have also had an exhausting time online over the course of the summer on a hyper-local social media app called Nextdoor. It connects you with your neighbors based on your geographic location. I'll be writing more about that soon. This mountain is feeling like a lonely place right now, but the joy through the smoggy onslaught of hate, invective, blatant racist commentary, and not-in-my-backyard fear propaganda is that I've made some new friends, online ones, and some, well, not-so-much friends. So, be well. Mask up one out, and remember that real men don't brandish weapons at peaceful protesters. So, what does all this mean? So we've established that I have some interesting yet familiar conversations with senior white males. Um, I do talk with many other people as well. Uh, Those are the those are two that I pulled out. But what does it mean? I mean, big deal. So you've established that you, Joseph, hold conversations with various people with differing uh, opinions and beliefs and all that sort of thing. So so big deal. What does that mean? Um, the election is next week. Are you trying to change anybody's minds? What are you trying to do? And my answer to that is, I, I don't know. I really don't. But I have spent uh, the last years, the last several years, intensely thinking about the kind of world that I want to inhabit now, both for selfish reasons and the kind of world I want our our children and their friends and 
your children and future children the kind of world that I want them to be able to be in. And I, I feel fortunate in so many ways still to live in a country where I'm able to say and write these things in spite of having frequently felt very alone in staking out a, a position. I've thought about the kind of leader that I want to have, and I, I'm actually, I, I said earlier in this podcast that I try to do uh, one amazing thing every day. And by the way, that was my that was my son who woke up partway through the podcast, whose uh, voice you heard in the background helping out, and he has some strong opinions as well, and I love that. I look forward to more and more arguments with him. Um, but the other amazing thing that I might have done today is create an acronym, and I just came up with this off the top of my head, um, but it's called Remind. R e m i n d. Remind. And I'd like to think that it's maybe an acronym for the type of leader that I would like to see in the office again. I'd like to see a leader that practices respect, first of all. A, a respect and... Okay, let me back up real quick. So, first of all, whenever I do a list, um, I'm just going to sneak this in here. If I, do, if I say I'm going to do like a five-item list, then I like to... Uh, I like to expand the the definition of a five-item list by having subsections to each of those as well. So, even though this is an acronym um, for remembering qualities of a leader, then I'm going to sneak in maybe multiple items for each of these. So, for R, respect and reverence. A respect for the rule of law a respect and a reverence for the Constitution, respect for others, respect for the environment, respect for the rest of the world. E, E for empathy. This is truly a characteristic that I I feel a deep sadness for President Trump because it seems to be a character trait that he lacks in totality. And I don't know, I, I, I feel such a great sense of loss for him that whatever his childhood was, whatever experiences led him to become the person he is, he may look at his title and his bank account, since not all of us get to actually see what co- what goes in and comes out of his bank account, he may look at those things and consider himself to be successful. And there may be plenty of people who do that. I don't believe that history is going to look well or look kindly on his tenure as president or on his life in general. He is getting, he is like a version of the high school star athlete whose peak years happened and he keeps wanting to return to those to that glory period of his life never to recreate it trump has thrown everything in to now and i suppose that could be interpreted as saying well he's thrown everything into serving this country for the last 4 years no that's not what i mean he's thrown everything into the present because he has no ability to think past i don't believe to think past the short term toward what will make him feel better, feed his ego right now. And I have seen the most striking lack of empathy over the last almost four years from this person than of any significant leader I can think of in recent, in recent times, in, in a democracy of any form. M for motivation. And again, this is sort of a two-part idea. What motivates this person to do what they do? What are they what are they driven by? And are they able to motivate others? 
Are they able to motivate others in surrounding themselves with people who are also successful, who are also intelligent, who are motivated to even speak up in opposition to the president when it demands it? Is this leader motivated to do that? And I, I think the, uh, the I should stand for integrity and inspiration. A president, a leader, should have a strong sense of integrity of what is right, and they should be able to use that sense of, that rooted sense of integrity to inspire others, to as much as possible to remove hypocrisy from their life, to know that when they speak words, those words mean something, as the wonderful philosopher Theodore Geisel, uh, also known as Dr. Seuss, once said, say what you mean, mean what you say, or something along those lines. We need a leader with integrity, and we need a leader who is able to inspire, a, le- a leader who is able to say, this is the reality now, and this is what we can aspire to, this is what we can get to. Let me show you. Let's do this together. It's not impossible. We can make the changes we need to make. Let's do it. The N in Remind for neutral. To be able to look at a nation of people, some who who may have voted for him or her, and some who didn't, and to recognize that that entire nation are that leader's constituents. That when it comes to making decisions on behalf of the country, it is, it is a leader's mandate to remain neutral. When you run for office, you run as a partisan. But when you become a leader, your job is to represent, to lead, to guide everyone. You don't get to just pick the people who supported you. To have a sense of fair play and neutrality. To not target those who may disagree or dissent with you. And I also decided to uh, throw in for in, I I thought it would also be a good idea to throw in um, intellect. Now, yeah, I know intellect is technically uh, an I word, but since I already had integrity and inspiration for I, then I thought I could just kind of sneakily throw in intellect under the in. We need a president who values thinking, who val- who values a thoughtful process, thoughtful discourse, thoughtful converse- conversation, thoughtful ideas, who does not abhor and speak out against education or formal education or Ivy League elites as the enemy. Being plain-spoken is can be a good thing. There are many plain-spoken people who are highly intelligent. But acting as if those who think, who use their intellects, who may, who, who want to make sure this country is, those who want to pursue formal education in this country have that opportunity. We need that. We, we need a leader who values, who ha, who, who values the mind. And D, the D and remind for discretion. Discretion and wisdom. I kind of used uh, the D and remind to kind of segue into wisdom. We need we need a leader who not only value not only is is a thinker, but knows how to use their ideas. Who knows how to use their intelligence, their intellect. In a, in a wise and compassionate way, who can make decisions that are fair, that are difficult and challenging, that can use discretion in building relationships, that can use good judgment. Those are the things we need. Respect, empathy, the ability to motivate, integrity, inspiration, 
a sense of neutrality and fair play and intellect, discretion, wisdom. Those are the things we need. Is one of the ideas that I've heard from different places is uh, some variation of, well, I don't have enough information. I, I just, I don't really know. I mean, seems like people are anti-Trump or, you know, anti, I don't know. They're all kind of the same. And I, on the one hand, I, I don't know how to respond to that. And on the other, I have all kinds of ways that I'd like to respond. And I guess I'll keep this short, but I want to say to anybody who might be listening, who might be thinking, I don't know if I'm really going to vote because I I don't really have all the information. I guess I want to say, what is it that you do? What What is your livelihood? What is your career? What is important to you? And once you've answered that question, start thinking about the things that you do well within that field. How many times do you have all of the information possible before you make an important decision or before you make any kind of decision? When you start looking at the many, 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 many decisions that we make every day, every week, every month, every year, where we end up making the best decision we can based on the information that we have. We get used to doing that. At this point, the chances are you have the information you need to make a decision. You've been able to look at the person that's held this office for the last three plus years. You've been able to get a sense of what kind of person he is. You've been able to get a sense of his character. You've been able to take his words and actions and weigh them against reality. When you become a parent, you go into it not knowing a whole lot. But you do the best you can with the information that you have, and you choose to listen to others, listen to the wisdom of others, those you trust, while also charting your own course, creating your own, your own ideas and ways of doing things. When you start a career, when you go through your classes, you choose who to trust. And there may be people who embarked on a particular career and then look back at every class they had in college and decide that they disagree with their professor or instructor in every single class they ever took. However, on some level, if a person goes through, goes through college and gets a degree in a particular field and then become successful in that career, and then they go back and they look at what their educational experience was, and they decide that it was pointless and worthless, then it seems, this is, I kind of slaughtered that, slaughtered that idea. So let me just start over again. Everybody has to decide who they trust. I cannot imagine being someone who can't trust anyone. I think that most people have someone in their life, people in their lives that they trust to some degree. And they might have, you might have people who you trust in a particular area and other people you trust in, in another area. But if you're thinking you don't have enough information about who to vote for or how to vote at this point, then just think of the many different decisions that you've made in which you didn't have all of the information possible. Then look around you. Think of the processes and the people that you've chosen to trust. Think about crossing a street. Think about the level of trust it takes to simply go across a crosswalk, to trust that 
the city planners or engineers or whoever it was responsible for creating a system to walk across the street, along with whatever drivers happen to be driving, think about the level of trust it takes just to step into a busy street when that walk signal says go. Think about the trust you are putting in your fellow human beings in a process that we are familiar with. Pedestrians still get stu- still get struck in crosswalks. Bad things still happen. Every once in a while, there are cases of voter fraud. But by and large, we have created processes and we have ways of checking our reality to see what's truthful, what's real, and what's not, who's lying and who's not. And some things can be difficult to tell, especially when you're being assaulted and bombarded with this and that. But one of my favorite phrases for our children this year has been false equivalency. The idea in debate of false equivalency. Well, this side did this, and so the, these, these two ideas are equal. These two parties are equally bad. It's simply not the case. So if you think you don't have enough information to vote, there's a lot of people that don't have all the information. I am guessing that if you are eligible to vote, you have the information that you need. You know what makes a decent human being. You know in your heart, in your head, when somebody is lying and when somebody is coming up with excuses. And for all those times that you hear people make excuses, in fact, I'd like for you to ask ask yourself a little question. If you were to substitute the behavior of our current president into that of, say, a 6- to 10-year-old child— and then ask if the reasons given over and over and over and over and over again, if you would accept those excuses, those reasons from a child, an, el- an elementary, a young elementary age child, would those be acceptable reasons or excuses? Ask yourself, does that sound like a person qualified to be president? Now, I know there's a bit of hypocrisy involved as I'm talking about the lack of qualifications the lack of character in our current president, and yet at the same time saying, vote. Please go vote. I realize that. So what if the one person that I may <laughs> decide to vote decides to it, decides to go uh, vote for Trump? Well, I guess that's a laugh on me. I hope if you've made it this far into this longer than necessary <laughs> podcast that is now lacking a one-year-old on my back. He's now run off to do other things. I don't know, dig some holes or go fly a drone or something. I, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, kids these days, one-year-olds, they off doing their own thing all the time. Think about what being a leader means And try to think back to before 2016. And try to think about the excuses you've heard people start to make for why things are the way they are. And think about all the Republicans and all the conservatives and all the people that used to be respected and respectable within the Republican Party who have stood in opposition to Trump and how they have now been marginalized, thrown to the edges by their own party, because they've dared to question the current president. What kind of a world do you want? If you are a Christian, a person of faith, if you are a business person, if you are a pastor, preacher, reverend, rabbi, priest, spiritual leader, if you are an entrepreneur, a teacher, a sociologist, an educator, 
if you are in the healthcare field, <laughs> if you are on any career or life experience that involves caring for other people, looking out for other people, that involves using your brain or your heart, if you care, no, let me retract that. I believe there are many people who care. If you care about making America greater than it is right now, I do believe this is a great country. If you believe in making this country greater, and by greater, I mean bigger and better, more inclusive, more successful for all, bigger in our relationships with other countries, greater in our capacity to protect this earth, greater in our interest in exploring innovative solutions and problem-solving together, if you are interested in making this country great again, and by extension, making the relationships that this country has with other peoples and other countries greater as well, if you are interested in making people's lives greater, please consider voting on or before Tuesday, November 3rd, and please think carefully about the kind of leader that you would like to have guiding this country. Please try to make your decision as much as possible without saying, well, it's, you know, better, better this one than that one. Based on what you know, which candidate do you think exhibits those qualities of a leader? Without making excuses, without putting a bunch of asterisks on there and saying, well, we're not, we're not hiring a, a parent or a teacher. If you don't trust me, if you don't believe me, if you don't think what I have said is enough, then start looking to other people who you do trust, who are successful in the areas that are important to you, who have been consistent since before Trump in stating what's important and the kind of... I, I have watched... The, one of the greatest levels of hypocrisy in my lifetime occur in the Christian, the evangelical community, with an overwhelming wave of support for a man who represents in so many ways the antithesis of the gospel, who represents in so many ways the exact opposing characteristics of what that one fellow in the New Testament, um, oh, what's his, Jesus, who represents in so many ways, so many characteristics and ways of dealing with people that Jesus asked his followers to not do, to not be. Jesus' focus was on people. And I've heard Christians say, well, Christians just need to stay out of politics. And you know what? I heard that all growing up. All kinds of end times theology and 
you know, these beasts and dragons and people were one world governments and um, all these horrible things were going to happen and uh, these blue laws, Sunday laws, and people are going to be forced to worship this way and that. That's why we needed to have separation of church and state. And I have seen this incredible hypocrisy just in the last several years of suddenly this prayerful jubilation that now we, quote-unquote, have a real Christian, a real man of God in, in the White House. And it sickens me. I want this world, the one we live in right now, to be better, to grow better, even if it's a little bit at a time. I believe so strongly that we need someone different than who is in there right now. And I believe, again, if you've listened, if you have listened this far, then you have an ability to give your attention to something and to listen and possibly to thoughtfully consider, unless the only reason you've listened is to get angry with me. So that's okay, too. But if you've listened this far, chances are that you're a thoughtful person and you're a caring person and that you would like to see things get better. So please consider, number one, voting, if you haven't. Number two, uh, consider voting for the candidate that you think will best guide us through the next four years in a manner that is respectful, empathetic, motivating, full of integrity and inspiration, fair-minded, uh, making decisions in a thoughtful, deliberative way, and that shows discretion and wisdom. Please vote for the candidate that you think will best exemplify those ideas. And number three, please remember and realize that your opportunity to be involved in being a citizen does not happen every four years or every two years or every time there's an election. There are many, many ways that you can be involved, you can make the world better around you. And I know that there are many people who do make the world around them better in their work, in their personal lives, in many ways, uh, regardless of who you voted for. Please know that I do recognize that. Whether you voted for somebody, whether you voted for Trump last time around, and even if you vote for him this time around, I, I remind some of, I have to remind others sometimes that there, I, I believe there are many caring and sometimes thoughtful people who have voted in ways that I simply do not understand. I have to remind myself that. So, if you have voted differently than I hope you currently are, then uh, there's a chance I, I love you. Um, there's a chance I like you. There's a ch- <laughs> I will do my best to respect you and to respect your choice. Um, but in the meantime, even if you make some ballot choices then, that are different than mine, I will tell you this. I will always have more respect for those opinions coming from people who, at the very least, choose to engage in the process and to educate themselves and to think about these things, rather than those who do nothing and let others vote and let others get involved and let others do the work and then wait till later on to start complaining and grumbling. So, much love. See you next time around. Uh, talk to you soon. (laughs) Joseph out.